let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Colossians chapter 2. And as you're doing that, let me just share with you also uh, another praise, and that is a lot of people have been asking about the Boys and Girls Club. We took up a Christmas offering of $18,000 and gave to them. And uh, this past week, I think it was on a Thursday, that building was dedicated uh, to uh, the city. And uh, as we were there watching everything, and uh, just such a great unifying service uh, there for the entire city. It's just a wonderful thing. So the Boys and Girls Club is now open, and they did make comment about our church. They said uh, they had to have a volunteer leader just to take care of all the volunteers that were coming from our church to participate in that. So we praise God for that. Amen. Let's give, us, give our church a round of applause on that. So um, a lot of you have been asking about that, and a guy continues to work in a church, in our church, but also outside the church as well. Well, the value of wisdom cannot be overestimated. It just cannot be. Proverbs 3 tells us, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and a profit better than gold. If you remember in the Old Testament story, King Solomon, who was called the wisest man that ever lived, was asked, the question by God. He said, God says, look, I'll give you anything that you want, great riches, great kingdom, whatever you want. And he prayed for the wisdom to lead his nation. The entire book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And let me share with you, even out of the mouths of children, great wisdom uh, can come. And uh, for example, Patrick, the age of 10, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Great words of wisdom there. Michael went on to say, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. (laughs) Another Michael uh, was very wise when he said, never tell your mom her diet's not working. (laughs) Don't want to do that. Randy, age nine, says, stay away from prunes. That's, that's That's all he said. Kim, age nine, never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. And here's really a wise thought. Naomi said this, if you want a kitten, start out asking for a horse. (laughs) And then finally, Joel, age 10, don't pick up your sister when she's holding a, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. And so that words of wisdom, Eileen, throw this in, never baptize a cat. And so we see these great words of wisdom, but we do, we need wisdom to make the right decisions of life. The young person, the high school student, is looking where to go to college, what to do with their career after high school. The college student graduates. They need wisdom in really searching for a job and and trying to find something in their field, what they're going to do for the rest of their life. Because whatever rut they get into, as you know, sometimes you stay in that for your entire career. And then parents need wisdom to raise their children. And right now, you need some of you here. You, you're retired, and you need wisdom on how to invest funds, what to take out, what to leave in. Are you going to run out of money before you run out of life? There are health decisions that you need to make. And we know we need wisdom for all these things of life. And Paul here is praying for the wisdom of the church at Colossae. Now, if you remember the story, Paul, the apostle, had started the church at Ephesus, and just a few miles away was the church of or the town of Colossae. And he sent one of his disciples, Epaphras. 
Epaphroditus, however you want to um, name that same person, he sent Epaphras over to Colossae to start the church. Well, now Paul's in a prison in Rome. Feels kind of, I mean, you can imagine, he feels a little bit helpless. The only thing he can do is write letters. He can't really go to that church and tell them what they need to do. But he fears for them because they have already fallen into false doctrine. Now, this, written, this book was written around A.D. Uh, 60, so the church was not very old. And already Gnosticism and other isms have come in to play. And he says, look, you need wisdom in order to understand the gospel and to stick to the gospel. In this passage, he pulls off verse 3 of chapter 2. In whom Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, we're asking the question in this series, why follow Jesus? Why not Jesus? Well, why not Jesus? Well, because as we said in the first few messages, he's God because of who he is, because of what he is, he's God, and because of what he's done for us as well. And Paul, in the, in the very first chapter, talks about this, and we said, and I promised we would come back and elaborate on it later in, uh, in the series. We're going to do that this morning. He talked about the wisdom of God. What is really the value of wisdom? Well, we're going to be looking at this passage this morning, beginning in verse 4. And I want, first of all, I want you to say, see in this passage that because of the wisdom of God, now there's a lot of things we can do with the wisdom of God, but there's three things I want us to look at this morning in this passage that pertains to the, li to the lives of the people in that church, but they also pertain to us today. Number one is you can find your purpose. It's been said the greatest day of life is when you're born, and the second greatest day is when you find out why. Why are you here? Well, he warns them, again in verse 3, about the, the hidden treasures and going away from the wisdom and understanding of God. We pick it up in verse 4. I say this, what he just said, what we talked about all last week, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So I want you to notice something about this verse right off the bat. He's introducing something he's going to get into in verses 6, 7, and 8 here in just a few minutes. That's a little bit heavier. But he says this. He says, beware, and that's what that word means, see to it. Beware that you do not fall into false doctrine by deluding yourself in these arguments with plausible arguments. Deluding, watering down, even watering down the gospel is a very dangerous thing. But I want you to notice this word plausible. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves, we, we get into a, a university or even in high school, we learn all these, uh, these, this great wisdom that's against the church, perhaps, and we think, well, you know, I've been learning all this stuff in church all these years. Now I go to school, and those people are a lot smarter than the pastor, and they're teaching something totally different. And man, it's really believable. Well, let me just share this with you. Very few arguments are not plausible in some way. Otherwise, nobody would believe it. And so when you and I go into an argument, we, we hear an argument, and we hear a philosophy of life that is contrary to the Word of God, and even if it makes sense, well, of course it makes sense. And the argument that that person's making and the assumptions that they are making and, and the life that we're living in right now, and that always affects your philosophy, we'll find out in just a, a moment. When all those things are happening... They can be believable. And so that's why Paul is warning. He says, these are plausible arguments. Notice what he says. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Again, he says, look, 
I'm, I'm absent, I'm in prison, I can't get there. I'm doing the best I can by writing you this, as it were, Holy Spirit-led writing. He said, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to, to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Again, encouraging them on what they're doing well. Well, I want you to see in verse 6, he says, therefore, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, that is, that, that word in the original language has something to do with a point in time. You, you don't receive Jesus Christ over a long period of time. Now, if you look at a graph of life, you, you look at it and you say, well, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to receiving Christ. I'm finding out more things. I, I'm really discerning a lot of the things going on. I'm beginning to understand. But then there's a kind of a blip on the chart. And that blip on the chart, that jump on the chart, is a time that you actually make the decision for the Lord. You're born again. After that, you continue to grow in the Lord. But there's a point in time decision, but it, it's only the beginning. Look what he says. Receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So this is a continual action in the Greek, original language. You're continually, after you receive Christ, you continually walk with him. How do you do that? Well, you're rooted. Two, two phrases here. One has something to do with agri agriculture. He says you're rooted. You go down deeper, deeper in the Lord, deeper in the word of God, so that you can be built up in him and established in the faith. That is firm in the faith, not, not going to every wind of doctrine that comes along, but being able to understand the gospel so clearly that you can tell the counterfeit when it comes along. That's his prayer for them. That's his longing for them. He says, so that you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. We're seeing here that you and I, as we have received Jesus Christ the Lord, it says, so walk in him. How did you do that? How did you receive the Lord? Well, you believed his word. No one ever received Jesus Christ for who he really is without believing the word of God. And therefore, you were humbled by all that. Knowing that you were a sinner, you could do nothing to save yourself. You're out of the saving business. And then you submitted to the Lord and invited Jesus Christ into your heart in that submission. How do you walk in him? Same thing. You believe his word. You humble yourself, you walk in humility, not looking at the things of this world and the, and the doctrines of this world and the philosophies of this world, thinking somehow those things know more than God knows. You humble yourself before the Lord, and then you walk in him by submitting to him every single day. Now, you look at this and you say, well, false doctrine, you know, I mean, how do we know really what's the truth? And you ask that. And we're living in a day of relativism where uh, people are saying, well, there is no real truth. It's just whatever it means to you. But the Bible teaches us, even in the Old Testament, about false doctrine. In Judges chapter 2, it says this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. This is a, a false religion. We look at religions today and you say, well, all religions are the same. We'll come back to that maybe in just a moment. But all religions are the same. And so it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Back in the Old Testament, they had false doctrine. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Destructive stuff in your life. Why is that? Because 
You operate in life on, based on what you believe. Whatever you believe, that's how you're going to behave. That's what you're going to base your life on. That's how you're going to raise children. That's how you're going to, going to influence grandchildren. Everything along there says to us, he says, beware, beware, because there are false, doc, false teachers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he warns us, Second Peter, near the end of the New Testament. Oh, in fact, over and over again, I just picked out a verse. I could start right now and go through the Bible, and we would still be here at the end of the service, me just reading Scripture, warning us against false, false teachers. But I bring this out because he says they're destructive, destructive to you, destructive to your life, destructive to your family, destructive heresies. Now, how do we get the wisdom of God? Man's wisdom could not save you. And so what makes, what makes us think it's really going to help us in man's wisdom? Well, let's look. The wisdom of God not only leads us to the right things, but it also avoiding the pitfalls. We find our purpose through Christ, but we also avoid the pitfalls of life. In verse 8, he says, see to it. He says, beware, all over again. Beware that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, this word captive means to snatch away. It really means to be kidnapped. And Paul is concerned that those who have trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord, now will be kidnapped by false teaching. It may be subtle, it may be small, it may be huge, but it's going to be a destructive heresy in their life. It's going to take them away from the purpose of God for their life, the will of God for their life. So he says, avoid being captive by what? What is the vehicle here? Philosophies of men. Philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Here in this passage, it tells us what a false teacher is, what a false philosophy is all about. He says, first of all, he says, it's empty, it's just empty deceit. Where does deceit, deceit come from? It comes from other people. Then we find that it's also a human tradition. It not only comes from other people, but it also comes from our own mind. All of us, all, all the philosophers of the past were trapped in their particular world. For example, Rousseau that I've mentioned before was in a world that everybody wore makeup. Everybody had powder fa powdered faces and wore wigs, even the men. And they had uh, strange outfits on, you know, and, and you've seen them on, on, uh, in the movies before. And it was a fake society. He looked at it as being fake and his philosophy came out to go against that which was fake in his society. All of us with a philosophy look at our world around us as if we're looking at four walls. One Os Guinness puts it this way, a modern day Christian philosopher. He says, we're like in a, all the philosophers were like in a dark room and we're in a dark room now. And we go around and we look at the edges and we feel the walls and we feel this wall and maybe a little jagged wall here and come over and over and over and over again, we go around this room and we decide what life is all about, but we're still in the dark. We're still in the dark. And so what do we have today? We have, it says, empty deceit, human tradition, and elementary dem or demonic forces. What does this remind you of? Well, I read you a couple of verses just a few weeks ago in James where it describes the wisdom of this world. He says, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, 
Let him show himself in good works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's not of God. This wisdom is just simply not of God. What is it? It's earthly. We said what? That's from the, the, all the guys in the past. It's from this world. It's unspiritual or natural in the original language. It's just not, it just comes from your own head. And then he says, thirdly, it's demonic. The same things as being uh, talked about in this passage. In fact, when it says the elementary spirits is really also quoting Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's talks in the, in the original language is the same type of language, the elementary spirits, elementary principles. It's the doctrines of demonic forces. And so we said that in light of that, in light of that, shouldn't we discern the times and seasons? Shouldn't we discern what people are saying? Instead of just taking it and saying, look, I'm taking this point blank. I mean, after all, all my friends feel the same way. And so since all my friends feel the same way, then it must be true. Everybody's saying it. Television's saying it. The Internet's saying it. The influencers are saying it. And so everywhere we go, this is what's, this is what's going on today. Why shouldn't I believe that? And so you believe it. And sometimes we believe it with great conviction, and we've never questioned it. Simply never questioned things that are outside of the will of God. Because James also, remember, he said also in this passage, he says, the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Are you listening? Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the wisdom of this world, a wisdom of God. So when we take on the wisdom of this world, all we're doing is walking around in that dark room with everybody else. And you say, but pastor, again, these people are so much smarter than me. How much smarter do we say they were? Somebody tell me. Hold up your hand and tell me about that much. Remember the illustration of the Empire State Building. Man, when you're sitting on the ground, you're looking up, you see all these buildings. You say, man, that building's a lot bigger than the rest of them. You get an airplane flying in, you're flying low, and you say, oh, yeah, I can see it now. You know, it doesn't look quite as much different, but, boy, it's different. But you go to outer space, or you're flying over New York, and you're flying high, and you're going to another city, and you're looking down, you can barely see the Empire State Building. And if you do spot it, it doesn't look any bigger than the rest of the buildings. So to a, a God, for me standing at the, at the base of the Empire State Building, man, everything looks so, so big. For me, as a human being, to discuss something maybe with a college professor or one of the great minds of our day is a, is a big stretch. But for God, it's not at all. For God of this universe who looks over this world, dear friend, when you take that into consideration, we, they are about this much smarter than the average guy. It's the wisdom of the world. So what do we have? Well, we have pragmatism today. Most of us live in that. Started by really John Dewey. We, we live in pragmatism. 
But it's getting to the extreme today where you come to somebody and share Christ with them and you talk to them about the Bible and they're not interested in all your apologetics anymore. And what I mean by that, defending the faith, defending, oh, the Bible comes from this and, and you can tell because of this kind of argument for God and that argument for God and how the word of God came about. And they, they're not interested in any of that. Most people are interested, does it work? That's all. Is it going to work for me? Tell me how it works for you so maybe I can decide whether it's going to work for me. All pragmatism. Because all truth now is relative. Even though it's not anymore, but that's been what's been going on in the 90s and the first 10 years of this century. Relativism, that there is no absolute truth. None. Comes from George. Uh, founder of that would be George Hegel. No absolute truth, but also today now we've gone to something else, and I would call it ostracism. We are canceling out those who don't believe like we believe. Why is that? It's because of the group around us. Dr. Kipling Williams said this, ostracism is an act of ignoring or excluding of an individual or group because of actions or beliefs or basically canceling them out. You unfollow someone. You don't talk to them about anything. You just unfollow them on, on Facebook. No answer to emails. Whistleblowing. How about that one? I remember a, a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves a few years ago, and he was a young guy, about 23, 24 years old, and uh, kind of struggling, doing okay. He comes out and throws an eight-inning no-hitter. And he's in the eighth inning, and I'm watching the game. I've only seen a couple of no-hitters in my life. Uh, and they've all been on television, but I'm watching this game and he gets the first guy out and he gets the second guy out. And finally, you know what happened, right? Line drive single to left field, base hit. Ruined the no-hitter. Well, they're interviewing after the game and he's real humble about everything, you know, well, the team, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. And it gets that night. I mean, no sooner than that interview was finished Somebody came out and revealed something that he had written in social media seven years before as a teenager, and he got canceled out. Never really recovered. You got a guy who works for ESPN, does a sports, college football. One of the really good running backs of yesteryear. If I were to mention his name, you would know who, many of you would know who I'm talking about. He goes back to Texas, runs for Congress, and because of his religious convictions, his Christian convictions, they don't always line up with ESPN. They fired him. Don't want any part of you. Canceling out. What happens? What are the responses to this? The dangers of all this is this. If you fear getting, you don't want to be canceled out. I mean, you've got a business, right? You don't want to be canceled out. You don't want to lose all your friends. You don't want to be like one of those guys that came up to me and said, well, if, if somebody votes for this kind of, this person, I don't even think I can love them. And I said, well, you, and you call yourself a believer? I don't think I can even love them. So we don't want to be canceled out, so we go with the group. We don't ask questions. And, and what happens, we get sold out, so passionate for that, because let me share this with you, a little insight from being a pastor for 35 years or 40 years or 100 years, whatever it's been. A um, little insight. Even with Christians... Truth takes a back seat to relationships. It just does. 
It doesn't matter. So-and-so is my friend, so I'm going with my friends. Doesn't matter what the truth really is. And so we get bought into that, and therefore we don't want to hear anything you have to say. Why? Why don't we discuss anything? Because so many people cannot defend what they believe. And so therefore they just don't want to talk about it. They're afraid you understand what you believe and can explain it, but boy, they just can't. And they don't want to risk being ostracized from the group. The other group, of course, the other response is you get mad about it and you just go against the group with everything you've got. But it divides. Ostracism, how do we get here? I've got to, I've got to hurry up. You've got to listen faster than that. Um, we deal with the philosophies of the past. I don't mean to get too academic here. I really don't, but just notice the connection. I'll go through these very quickly. Jean-Jacques Rousseau was a French philosopher in the 1700s, and again, raised in a French society that was very fake. He believed that man was good at birth, and society corrupted him. It's all our fault. We must rebel against this hypocritical society, and I take this from his own uh, writings. Government must be the tool. We've got to tear down society and build it back up. Charles Darwin found just the foundations of our world collapsed with evolution. Now, you can say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm canceling you out. In fact, I'm thinking about walking out of the room right now or cutting off the, my device, TV, whatever. I'm going to cancel you out because I just don't want to hear it at all. And, but besides that, if you don't believe in evolution, you're a buffoon. You're just a buffoon. You're, you're an idiot. Okay, well then where, where did all, everything come from? Well, it just came from this and this. No, you, you've got to have the amoebas and all the atoms coming from someplace. What you're saying is, if you believe in evolution, it's simply saying, I believe that matter is eternal. Matter somehow is just always, can't create itself. So matter, as at the beginning, has just always been here. Rather than God creating, you say, well, you can't explain why God has already been here. Yeah, but the difference is, if you just limit yourself to this world, then you cannot explain the origin of man and creation. You just really, evolution would only explain uh, the evolving of it, not the foundation of it, not the origin of it. But if you believe in a supreme being, then you're looking at a different realm. You're looking at a different sphere of life, something you're saying, I can't understand. Something from the outside created this. Now, here's what happened when Darwin's theory. He didn't have DNA back then. He was on an island all by himself studying animals. Again, his atmosphere dictated his walk in the dark room. And because of that, we've devalued human life. We've devalued it. When uh, the abortion law started, they, they didn't argue just in the Supreme Court about babies, but they just really, according to Al Mohler, president of the Southern Seminary, what they did in the argument was simply say, some lives are more valuable than others. That's, that was their, it was rejected by the court, if I'm not mistaken. That argument was, but they made that argument before the Supreme Court. It devalued life. Well, John Dewey comes along. And I'm not taking these in order necessarily, but the, more the order of which they influenced America, America because some of these philosophies just sort of died in their time. Then they came back through another person. But John Dewey, 
who was the founder of, one of the founders of humanism that replaced God. I mean, after all, you don't have God anymore, right? You don't have to worry about God. You don't, you're not accountable to God. You have to worry about God. And therefore, somebody has to be a God. What about me? What, what, what about me? And so therefore, man became his own center. And he was also the father, by the way, of, of uh, pragmatism. He is the father of, uh, considered one of the founders of progressive modern liberal arts education. And his goal, one of his goals was to take God out of the public schools. Now, you may disagree, separation of church and state, but I'm just giving you a little history here. Prior to 1947, when the Supreme Court ruling was made here in America, and prior really to the 1940s, no one ever considered taking God out of the public schools. We lived 175, what, I don't know, 100, 175 years with, without even approaching that subject. But because of all these philosophies that's gone before, all of a sudden we look and say, well, separation of church and state doesn't mean that the church is no longer able to establish a religion like they did in England. And that's where it came from. Again, it's in our room. We, we made the law in our room. Our room said, in the founders, in this dark room, we can't have this because look what happened to us in England. We had to leave England because of a state religion. So we're not going to have that. Well, we've turned that into taking God out of everything. And that was the goal of John Dewey. After all, you don't have God anymore. Evolution tells us that man must replace himself with God. Frederick Nietzsche, God is dead. And what, really what he was saying was morality is dead. There is no morality. There is no sin. He brought, the, brought this out from George Hegel, who would said that all truth is relative. He said, basically, we have a thesis, and we have an antithesis, and then we compromise. The thesis could be um, um, what happened in uh, the 1950s. I love Lucy. Anybody ever watch that show? Ever? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Dick Van Dyke. Ring a bell? Okay. I love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke. You walk into their bedroom, what do you find? Two beds. Twin beds. Married people in twin beds. Okay. Why? Well, that was the thesis. You couldn't do that. Well, then the antithesis said, no, what you need to do is not only have this one in the same bed, but also make it out. If I can say that, make it, I don't know what, what to say, really. I'm, I mean, you know, bleep that out of the tape if you have to. But you can tell this is off the cuff, right? This little illustration. And so that's, that's the antithesis. Oh, we can't have that. So let's compromise. We, oh, we'll just put them in the same bed. That becomes a synthesis. That becomes a new thesis. Then you have another antithesis that comes further away. And then you compromise again. And then further away, and you compromise again. And Hegel realized that there is no, when you do that, there is no absolute truth. And that's where relativism came from. Then, Adolf Hitler. Did you know that much of what's happening in our world today comes from Adolf Hitler? And you say, well, how so? In his book, Mein Kampf, he says, in order to take over a culture, you've got to do certain things. Five of them um, seem to come out in the book, in the writings. One is that, and by the way, he got his philosophy from all of these people, particularly Friedrich Nietzsche, who said that God is dead, morality is dead, there is no right and wrong. Do what is good that's practical for you and gain as much power 
as you can possibly gain. He said, look, first of all, you got to have slogans to hide heinous crimes. They killed all the Jews, but they didn't call it, let's kill the Jews. They called it, or they didn't call it genocide. They called it the final solution. The final solution. We have abortion today. We don't call it abortion. Now we call it pro-choice. And we go on both sides, by the way, of the aisle. Just, just do something that seems a little, uh, let's rename it to make it sound so good. He says, you got to do that. you got to appeal to the emotion and avoid the truth that you do not agree with. Avoid it. The news media, you don't put on things that you don't agree with. That he got, he got hold of the media. And that's the fifth step, by the way. Number three, you capture the schools. When they were leaving school in the Third Reich, they believed with everything. They, they, you say, well, we blame them. We blame the kids. We blame, I understand. But that is exactly what they were taught. They captured the public schools. You crush, number four, you crush your enemies. They do nothing right. Nothing. They do something right. You either avoid talking about it or you talk about something that was a, they did it for a bad motive. Or, yeah, you can talk about this, but let's talk about this. So he crushed his enemies. They never, he never gave them credit for anything, ever. Finally, the media has to be on your side. And in our country, it's different. It's all voluntary. But he captured the media. He indoctrinated them, and they followed him to the end, all the way to the end. And we have that. We have a lot of that going on in our nation in different groups. Karl Marx comes along and puts it all together. And a utopia through economics, really a Christian ethic without God. You know, let's share everything, but just don't have God involved in it. It's not voluntary anymore. And so what do we have? We have now ostracism because now we've taken truth out. Let me tell you how important that is. Listen to me very carefully. In China, in 1948, in China, our missionaries were having a very, very difficult time. There were so many different religions, including Buddhism and uh, also um, Taoism and others as well, Confucianism. All these religions were in China, and they couldn't penetrate it. What communists did, the communist Chinese government did, was obliterate all the religions, took them all out, and replaced them with something. Now, because of that, we have, because all those religions were taken out, all of a sudden, since 1948, we go back in when uh, the communist country opened things back up a little bit to us, and we found churches, house churches everywhere. Why? They took away the religion of the people, and then they were able to, we were able to replace it with God. Now let's draw a parallel. What we've done in our world in the last 20, 25 years is take away the whole concept of absolute truth. For example, I tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. I tell you that with all sincerity. But let me, let me say this. There's no statement that a Christian can make that is more rejected than that statement. Because you're saying, well, then you believe you're the only one that's right. So now, all the truth has been sucked right out 
of society. And we know that doesn't work. Rel no one, everybody believes in relativism, but they don't want to be tr treated relatively. You know? You don't want to do that. So, well, I treated my wife this way just because I wanted to. I treated my husband that way just because I wanted to. I cheated you out of money just because I just felt like that was the right thing to do. No one wants to be treated that way. And all the laws of nature are not relative. None of them are. Man, if I were to drop my Bible, I guarantee you it would fall down to the floor 10 out of 10 times because of the law of gravity. So why, don't, why can't we have moral absolutes? So somebody now has come back in and said, my truth, whatever that is, my truth that I have established in my dark room, running my hands along the walls and the corners of the walls, my truth is the truth, and you don't say anything to me about it. It's like a child. My, one of my granddaughters um, and I were about to play a game. And she looked at me and she said, Papa, we're playing by my rules and I don't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> All right? That, well, I thought, well, out of the mouth of, of babes, you know? And that's how we are. Don't talk to me about your truth. I don't want to hear it. Because I, I, I just don't think I can defend mine, so I don't want to talk about it. And then we ostracize people because now it's not truth is relative. It's not relativism. It's ostracism. How can, we how can we get the wisdom of God? We get it from the Word of God. But, dear friends, it's not an academic thing that I've just been talking about here. It's a spiritual thing. Real quickly, how do we get this into our life. We do it through Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip down to verse 13 in the interest of time. And it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions, having canceling the record of debt that has stood against us with its legal demands, that he set aside nailing it to the cross. That's what he did with our sins. He says, we were sinners, and we had, because of the darkness that we're in, we can't see the light. God has sent us the light through Jesus Christ. And he says, you receive him, and God will cancel out all the debt. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame by triumphing over them in him. He went to the cross, and he beat the philosophies of this world. He beat the false religions of this world. He says, you've received Christ. You have the opportunity now at abundant life. He says, you, you, I've nailed it to the cross. The picture here, and, it, and the church of Colossae would know this. The picture here is in the old days when you were a slave. You were a slave to someone because you had to sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. So you paid the debt off. Maybe you worked 10 years to pay off your debt. And the owner, your owner, writes a certificate of debt being paid and therefore setting you free. You would then take that to the gatepost of the city and nail it on the doorpost of the city. He nailed it to the cross the way the certificate of debt is nailed to the, go to the doorpost and to the door of the city gate. Having forever put away your sin. Because why? Well, people look at that and say, well, this is a free guy. I don't, a free man, I don't have to chase him down. I don't have to arrest him anymore. A citizen's arrest because he's trying to escape. 
He has been set free. Been set free. And dear friend, you and I have been set free to receive the wisdom of God and to accomplish his purpose for our life by receiving him. Yeah, you can give the Lord a great round of applause. He deserves it. By receiving him into our heart. Man's wisdom could not save you. How can it help you now? What do you need to do? You need to follow Jesus. Why follow Jesus? Why follow Jesus? He's God. Why follow Jesus? He died for you on the cross. Why follow Jesus? He is the wisdom of life. The wisdom of God that can keep you from false do- and destructive false doctrine and destructive heresies in our life. How do we do this? Colossians 2:6. You believe the things of God. You humble yourself before the Lord. You surrender to him. Have you done that? Have you, do you have the opportunity to receive all the wisdom of God? Do you have the opportunity to have the abundant life, the spirit-filled life of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kind of self-control? Do you have that opportunity? You do if you receive Christ. You don't if you haven't. He is the key, the foundation to all the wisdom that we've been talking about today. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you make that decision today? Would you make that decision by trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord? Would you ask God to save you and to give you the wisdom that you need in your life? You can do so by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. You at home, I encourage you to bow your head right now and pray with us. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me, for going to the cross and nailing my sins to the cross and the blood that was shed for me, God. I thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity to be forgiven, to be given a new life and a new wisdom and the right wisdom in my heart. And Lord, I open up my heart to you. I ask you to come in. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me the person, the wise person that you want me to be. Lead me in the right path. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.